girls hit the floor. In their ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later, the Homestar Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else they want to talk about. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 171. I am Peter. And I am Joey. Uh, welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. Uh, Joey, you were away with some family stuff, if I remember correctly. Oh, I was, uh, I was going I went scout camp with yeah, my son. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you told some told me some cool stories about that. I, um, the blood I, circle one. <laughs> oh, jeez, yes, that one is more awesome. But I meant some of the more interpersonal stuff oh, with okay. you and yeah. your son. Um, do, let's talk about that right now. What? Where, where did you guys go? How long were you gone for? Uh, we were gone for two days. Two two days in a like a morning. Okay, so now your your son is eleven years old. Yes. What were the ages of the other scouts, or were they everyone all was same? eleven? Everyone yeah, was all okay. so it's what they what they call new scouts, unless you unless you formed an official blazer troop, at which case you'd be a blazer scout. But okay, um, so these are not yet working towards their their star life advancement. Or They're working towards their advancement. They, what they what they like to get them to do is they like to get everyone up to their star, I guess now before they're twelve. What so then? You have your or every, everything up to star, not not star, but up to star. So they want you to have your tenderfoot first class and second class done before you become no a Boy Scout. Way, yeah. But the requirements are a lot easier, or at least they're easier than I remember them being. For example, I swear you used to have to have merit badges. T- tenderfoot, I got like basically as I was becoming twelve. Okay, and then there was first class, second class. Man, that's. Crazy! Yeah. I wonder if they've changed things around. I think they have. Do, do you remember how? Or it is get... Utah County, so maybe it's just a little. <laughs> they're, they're doing their own thing. <laughs> uh, so we went to a place called Camp Jeremiah Johnson, and it's just uh, in the back woods of the the backside of the Wasatch Mountains here. Uh, a lot of fun. I, I we I mostly went because you know my son my son he's autistic and he was worried. He came to me mm-hmm. and said, "Dad, I, I'm not sure." about this camping thing. I want to go. It sounds like fun. Will you please come with me? And I said, yeah, of course. I'll come with you, son. I'd love to. Uh, Went out, and I have never seen that kid act so mature in my entire life. Just a totally different person out there. Well, let me ask you this, because I remember you mentioned this to me. I didn't think about it then. Was it due to, like, um, I don't want to say fear, but, uh, you know, a healthy respect of the dangerous environment that he was in that kind of sobered him up. I mean, because he's a kid. I mean, he's he's goofy. He wants yeah. to, you know, go have fun and, and do weird things. <laughs> what? No, I, I, I think more than anything, it was the seriousness with which I treated it. Because I take my Eagle Scout award very seriously. It's something that I worked incredibly hard to get. I didn't know you were an Eagle Scout. Yeah, I am. I didn't have a lot of assistance from the scout troop that I was attending, and 
I, I, it's just always been something to me that means a lot to me. I see you pulled out your wallet there. You're about to show me your Eagle card. That's right. Do you have such a card, Joe? I, I don't carry it anymore. <laughs> I, I think it's one. no, it hasn't all rubbed off yet. I, I thought like the date had rubbed off or something, but uh, yeah, right there. I got this thing. I pull it out on a, on dates all the time. It's like, <laughs> well, wherever we're going, I'll be prepared as I show them my uh, Eagle badge. I like that you hold it up like a policeman's badge. That's there. exactly the way I put it. In. That's like why I did that. So I'd be like, "Yes, ma'am, would you please, Peter and leave Eagle the Scout. <laughs> can I can I have some words with you, please? I need to give uh, you. Uh, um, yeah. So uh, that, that's cool. That's that's cool. Go, uh, go they, on. They they did one thing on this on this campout that was very neat, and I hadn't ever been through it before. Uh, in talking with some of the other people, apparently it's something that's commonly done. Uh, it was called, they called it the Honor Trail. I think was the name that they gave it. By the way, I had never heard of the what Joey's about to tell you. And, and what they did is on the the second night of the campout, they waited until it got completely dark. I mean, sun was down, moon wasn't up yet, and they take you on a, a very well defined. It's actually like the road. There's a, a dirt path, and they take you and they and they you can see a trail of like Coleman lanterns going up the hill. And it's a pretty steep hill. It's a, it's about a mile and a half hike that you go on on the course of this. And what they do is every, every once in a while you stop at one of these Coleman lanterns and there's a person standing there who's one of the camp counselors and they elaborate some particular point of the scout law. A scout is trustworthy. To be trustworthy means, and they kind of give you a dictionary definition and, and talk a little bit about the promise that you're making when you raise your hand and put your three fingers up and you give the scout law. And, and then they, they invite you. They say, if you are willing to live up to this commitment, please pick up a pebble and throw it into the honor circle. So they've got a circle of rocks there and everyone throws a pebble in. And you head on to the next one. And they said there's only two rules uh, as you're doing the hike, no lights and no talking. So all the way up the hill, our group, you know, we did a pretty good job. There, was, there wasn't any talking, any lights. We get to the top of the hill and they ask us, we're, we're, we want everyone who's already been on the hike to stay at the top until everyone has finished the hike and then we'll all go down together. So we're up there waiting and, and as the night drags on, because they had... So I think it was like 120 kids there. Holy crap. And they're doing this in groups of five to ten kids. And they try to give it space so that you're not seeing the other people on the hike. So, so I mean, it took a long time to get through all these kids. And, you know, the kids start to get restless and they get a little noisy. And, in fact, some of the adults got pretty noisy. Somebody had a laser pointer and they were playing with the laser pointer up on the side of the mountain and things like that. And, it got, in fact, it got rambunctious enough up there at one point that the the head of the camp came up the hill, the camp host came up the hill and said, Hey guys, you're being so noisy that the other people coming up the honor trail cannot get the experience that you had. We ask you to please quiet down. Uh, but it was just very interesting because my son, who's normally the first one to go wild and be crazy and noisy, very quietly went and sat down and he, he grabbed me by the hand. And he pulled me away from everybody else. And we went and sat in this, this open field and we're looking up at the stars and he started whispering to me, and JJ doesn't ever whisper, like in church or, you mm-hmm. know, whispering is not something I hardly ever see that kid do. Very soft whisper. And we talked a little bit about the promises that he, was, that he had just made. And I told him how proud I was of him and, and things like that. 
And as these other kids started to get noisy, JJ said to me, Dad, why are those kids being noisy? Don't they remember the promise they just made? <laughs> and for JJ, that's such a level of engagement in what's going on. I'm just going to say, for every 11-year-old, <laughs> sure. especially JJ, yeah. is incredible. Yes. Incredible. And, and you know, we, we did talk for a little bit about the the commitments that he made. And I told him, you know what? I, I know you can keep these. I know you can live these promises you just made. And I'm so proud to be here to see you make them. And since we got back, whenever he starts to act out a little bit, I just tell him, <laughs> son, do you remember the promises you made? Do you think you're keeping those promises right now? Why don't we try to do better? And it's it's been a very dramatic shift in his personality. I mean, I'm not saying he's like this quiet, well-mannered, reverent kid all the time. But when it's time to stop and I tell him, you know, I mean, I generally I'm pretty easygoing as a dad. I let him get away with, I think, more than a lot of dads probably would. And But when I tell him, look, you know, it's time to stop. Remember the promise that you made. It stops. And it's it's been a pretty dramatic shift in his personality. I, for one, am super glad I took the time to go. Yeah, it, it sounded... You know, uh, like a super cool experience. What well, I, I can't remember if I've asked you this before, but when they were all going up and, you know, everyone was tossing a little pebble in, did anybody say, like, yeah, no, no, yeah, trustworthy? Not, not, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, not okay with that, that one. We were I, in, we did I, not. I won't make that covenant. Thank you. <laughs> not in the group that we were in. In fact, when he asked me, he's like, why, why didn't, you know, why aren't they being quiet? I said, well, maybe, maybe they didn't throw rocks in. <laughs> and he said, well, Dad, I saw everybody with us threw a rock in. And I said, oh, yeah, but remember there were other people not with us. Oh, yeah, maybe they weren't ready to be quiet yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember – we didn't, I don't think we ever did anything remarkable or um, you know as thought-provoking as that activity you just described. Um, for us, a lot of times the, the scout uh, law was – just something you quickly spat out as quick as you could. You know, scout is trusted, a helpful friend, the courage is kind of obedient, shuffle with everybody, clean and right. Like, <laughs> the meaning of it was just tossed out the window yeah. in, you know, trying to just say it super fast. And it traditionally just got louder and louder as, <laughs> as we tried to go faster and you faster. You guys didn't add anything? We, we had some no. additional things at the end. No, really. <laughs> <laughs> I remember... Are, uh, are they safe to say? <laughs> uh, some of them are. <laughs> I remember we added uh, dirty. <laughs> <laughs> sure. As, and, in, as in the dust that's yes, getting on yes. you. The and, dirt. and smelly. <laughs> uh-huh. And hungry. <laughs> and then some I won't repeat. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Um... Yeah, so very, very cool. By the way, the, the blood circle thing, just so people know <laughs> what that's about. Okay. So when I, when I was a scout growing up, they, they had a thing called the Toten Chip. And this was a card that showed that you'd gone through safety training on how to properly use your pocket knife. And therefore, you were allowed to carry a pocket knife on official scouting events. If you didn't have a totem chip, you weren't allowed to bring a pocket knife. And if you ever misbehaved, they'd take your totem chip card and they'd tear a corner off. And if all four corners got torn off, they'd tear the whole card up and you have to go through the safety <laughs> training again. Or if, the, if you, what you were doing was dangerous enough, they could tear the whole card up right away. Well, they have the same program still, the totem chip. But when I was growing up, we were taught the safety circle. That's where you close the blade of your knife 
and you extend your arm and you just kind of move it around in a circle to make sure that no one is within that range. If you bump into anyone at that point, people are too close to you. It's not safe to use your knife. Now they teach the kids it's called the blood circle. (laughs) And they teach them to do it with the blade open. Their argument for doing this at the at the camp was, well, because sometimes, you know, there's just that that extra six Three inches. Three more inches. Yeah. <laughs> right? Wait, the, please tell me eleven year olds weren't carrying around a six right. inch no, blade. I guess there probably wasn't anybody with a six inch blade. <laughs> but so what I saw on the camp and I'm I, I personally attribute this to having the name changed from safety circle <laughs> to blood circle was that they would open their blade stick their arm out as far as they could, and then spin around in a circle screaming, blood circle, blood circle, blood circle. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think this is safe by any means. Oh, man. Uh, you asked me at work, you know, whether or not we had done anything. Like, I'm like, no. We just took whatever we needed. If they're ever stupid enough to cut off her finger, then you know what? Dumb you. Yeah. <laughs> Darwin rules, and uh, that just happens. Um, wow, that's a cool story. I'm, I'm glad that you had such a good time. Um, one of the cool things is he thought that he was ready to go on the next yes, one by himself, by himself, right? Yep. Yeah, I thought that was really cool for JJ as well. So congratulations, you know, as your fatherly moment that you had. Yeah. Well worth skipping out on the podcast easily. Um, okay, I don't think I have anything okay. to mention or bring up, so we'll just go ahead and jump into Facebook Find of the Week. We don't have any emails? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We should probably check out some emails. Um, okay, so we did have a few come in, and uh, let's see here. We'll go to... Oh, yeah. Uh, JD. Okay. Good he to hear says, from you again. The royal family is so uncreative with names... <laughs> I was hoping the baby's name would be Farham or Wingenthorn or Beckabee or something else fun and edgy. But another His Majesty George? Lame. Because yeah, I worked out so well last time. <laughs> My fiance and I have started watching Fringe. It's cool so far. We're early into season one. Have Joey and Peter watched the show? I'd like to hear opinions if they have. We're really enjoying Denethor of Gondor playing a semi-crazy and brilliant scientist. Mm. Tolkien alert. Laugh out loud. Uh, Yeah, so you bring up a couple of cool things here. Um, I am, yes, watching Fringe. I'm into about the middle of maybe a third of the way through season two. So awesome. Really? I'm digging it all the way. Interesting. Tons of fun I'm having watching this. Because it's kind of a coherent story, but it's, you know, it's chopped up enough that, you know, we don't have to worry about, um, you know, the fact that, oh, I missed an episode last week, you know. So there's a solid, cohesive story, but, you know. You know, I was telling my wife, I think actually that Netflix is changing the game on this because... Now you just say, you know what? We can do these long story arcs. People mm. don't have to worry about an e- missing an episode because we're all going to catch it on Netflix. Yeah. I, uh, I'd be curious if the quality of production manages to stay up as high as what you know we see with a traditional yeah. television uh, budget. So hopefully that, that'd be nice if they could manage to do that. Um, the second thing is the royal family. <laughs> 
And uh, Joey, I, uh, I I put in the email that uh, you were gonna you know talk about this. So what? Well, let, let's you, have you want you, the story. Let, yes, I do want the story. <laughs> By the way, Joey had no idea that there was anything about a royal baby. Yeah. Okay. So my wife gets the email last night. I hadn't seen the email. She comes into my office there there at the house and says, "So you and Pete have been talking about the royal baby." <laughs> By the way, a conversation Joey and I would never have <laughs> Not under any circumstances. Uh, and I said, "The what?" She says, "The royal baby." Pete, Pete, did you not see Pete's email? I said, "No, I, I think he forgot to include me on the emails." Although, although it turns out I did get this one. I just hadn't seen it yet. She's like, "Yeah," he, he said, "You were going to talk about the royal baby." I'm like, "I don't know what you're talking about. The royal baby? <laughs> what on earth?" And she's like. Prince, you know, him, and uh, she knows their names. I don't. It's George? Is that what you just said? That's the baby's name. The baby. I don't know the parents' names. <laughs> it's either William or Harry? Uh, Kate. W- and, is it William or Harry? Uh, William. William. So William and Kate. Uh, she's like, oh, yeah, they had their baby. I'm like, she's pregnant? <laughs> when did that happen? Because I thought they just got married, like, yeah, it's weird that they wouldn't announce that. Like, uh, you know, oh, yeah, we've been trying to get pregnant or something. Did they announce it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, and, and, of course, then it became a fight because my wife's like, how can you not care? <laughs> <laughs> I just realized where this conversation went. I'm going to apologize in advance to our British listeners. <laughs> she said, how can you not care about the royal baby? I said, well... Because I'm not a British subject. <laughs> and so it doesn't matter who their king is. <laughs> so that, and then it just became this whole argument of why, why engage in other people's lives? Our own lives are crazy enough. I don't need that drama. But yeah, I had no idea she was even pregnant. Congratulations, you guys got a new king. Yeah. When does he become king? I, like I don't know. Or well, I just think he's like next in line oh, there. I, see. But I, why I not, think his why not father. His dad? I don't think it's ever going to go to Charles. Most people have suggested that it's like, yeah, this shit is going to pass right over Charles. Huh. Okay. I, I, I'm not even going to try to understand what's going on there. Yeah, I don't think that you really need to care okay. about it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, let's see here. But congratulations, Britain. I hope he rules you with an iron fist. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be curious if the Bobs or Cy care that much about it. Yeah. Like, I'm sure they're probably happy. It would be like, you know, one of, like, our president or something, you know, having a, a, a baby while in office. I would imagine. Has that ever happened? Similar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think so. Okay. Maybe the Kennedys had a baby in office. Because mm. they were pretty young when he they died. Yeah, and that were. was, like, getting into, I think, what, his second term or something? I don't remember how the whole thing yeah, happened. I don't, I don't. Um, okay, we do have a couple more emails, but those will be for our list. Okay. So let's see here. Let's go into Facebook Find of okay. the Week. And there were, because we had a couple of weeks off, um, there were a few things that got posted up. Um, I just want to call this out because my buddy made this that Walking Dead Zombified 
um, website. If you didn't see I this, didn't see that. go and check it out. Okay. Not just be it's not about zombies, it's about the making of the show and how they managed to do all oh, of this oh, stuff. Oh, I think I did see this where they talked about like how they cast the extras and stuff yeah, like that's, that. Yeah, that's that's he's it's interlaced with videos and, you know, bios about everybody involved. What's cool is you scroll down, but it moves across to the yeah, to okay. the side yes, almost like this. a comic that I you're you're this. reading. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I So who made that? Uh, it's my buddy Gavin. Um, oh, used okay. to when I yeah, worked sure. at I four, yeah. so he's a cool guy. Um, he's the guy who made my costume that I managed to win. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Okay, so that just mentioning that again. Then the couple of posts by by Fishhead, he mentioned the the Cosmos trailer that came out that was announced at uh, San Diego Comic Con. That Neil deGrasse Tyson is going to be picking up the the series um, in in the same vein that um, oh what's his name billions yes that billions guy Carl stars. Sagan yes. had, had basically started so that's going to kind of pick up interesting um, and it looks like production value is pretty high so that, that should be fun uh, not going to win but I just wanted to mention it out there in case anybody didn't see it one of the fun ones was his post apparently. Um, Ayn Rand used to do a um, a short column in Parade Magazine okay. before she died, and some of the stuff she says in there is hilarious. <laughs> and so John Hodgman wrote this thing Ed, that went into the New Yorker where he basically just took excerpts of the stuff she said that was hilarious. That's the PC guy, right? Uh, yes, I'm that's a Mac, correct. I'm a PC. Yeah. Um, go and check that out. You okay. would certainly enjoy that. He is generally pretty funny. Um, let's see here. Oh, there was that article about Stockton being, uh, the, the town that helped, uh, did you read that? Uh -uh. Stockton had declared bankruptcy. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. And I knew they were having trouble. Someone wrote an article, um, in Time Magazine talking about Stockton in relationship to what's going on with Detroit Detroit right now. Right. So, uh, anyway, the winner though is got to go to Bob for the Daily Superman with um, Brandon Ruth and Dean Kane. Essentially, they got a bunch of people together who have played the character of Superman. Okay, and then they acted out like Superman. It's only a couple of minutes long, so you got to go and check okay. that out, Joey. All right, I'll check it out. Uh, really funny stuff, Bob. Good find. Um, that is in the true spirit of a Facebook find of the week. Um, we, I have an idea for what we can do with that. One of those pictures that, uh, uh, Brainy Smurf gave us of his okay. girlfriend. So we could maybe make up an award and send that out to a couple of these Are people. Are we going to Photoshop the listener's face in on top of her? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, I don't know. I, I came up with a, an idea. It okay. might be kind of cute to do. Who knows? Maybe it'll be too difficult to do. Um, okay. That's Facebook find of the week. Uh, what are we doing next? List? Yeah. You want to do list Let's next? Let's do list. Okay. Can I, can I tell the story of how this week's list topic sure. came about? Sure. <laughs> oh, and I've got, I've got to read some... Uh, I've got emails okay. here. So uh, the original concept I had for this week's list was top five nonfiction authors. And when I said that, Pete's response was, can I count the Bible? <laughs> and I said, yes, as one author. 
<laughs> and it became clear from the look on your face that this was not a list you were going to participate in. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't going to happen. So out of frustration, I looked at the screensaver displaying on my screen- computer at the moment. And there was a big tiger on the screensaver. <laughs> I said, fine. Top five big cats. <laughs> <laughs> the, there was our list. Uh, by the way, I looked at him pretty strangely for that one as well. <laughs> it's like, you know what? You get what you get. You keep knocking my ideas down. They're going to get weirder. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So uh, John Leindecker sent an email. Okay. It's good to hear from John. Um, and here is his list. Hey guys, I hope that you are both doing well and that you enjoyed another week off. I, I think yeah. we did. Yeah. Um, I thought I'd throw in a list of bi- favorite big cats. Number five, the cheetah. Sleek and fast are always a good thing. Okay. Number four, the jaguar. Preferably with the British pronunciation. Oh, jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> because it sounds so good. Number three, Garfield, can you get a bigger cat? <laughs> I knew besides, somebody was going to do that. <laughs> he loves lasagna. Number two, Hobbs from one yeah. of the best comic strips ever, though I prefer Bloom County. Number one, the Ocelot, because I always loved the name and the look of this cat. It would have been great to have one as a pet. <laughs> I hope you like my list, and I look forward to your podcast. Yes, we absolutely loved your list. Yes. So good job on sending that in. Thank you. Uh, let's see here. JD, no top five from him. Let's see here. Did Mark have anything? No. No. So going to go to oops, Brainy. He said, uh, sup, dudes, Finkel and... Einhorn, Finkel and Einhorn, collaborators and torn, collaborators and torn. Ha 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 ha. What in the world is that about? That sounds familiar. I can't remember. Hold on. He's like too smart for us. Like we need like. Oh, it's an Ace Ventura reference. We need uh, we need uh, uh, like little. Uh, uh, what are them little marks uh, that indicate uh, where a citation footnote. is? Footnote. Yeah, that'd be great. And also uh, uh, a definition of the word footnote uh, so that I know what that means. Um, Nice job last week. Joey, I loved hearing your insight toward favorite super movies and your uh, interpretation of the Hulk. That's what is cast does best. Also, can we have a new segment? Call it... Fantastical road trip diary excerpts from the listener whose illustrious namesake encapsulates the soul of brevity with listener M. <laughs> Brought to you by the letter M. That's great. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I uh, just need to get. Uh, you just um, have to convince Captain Brevity to write it. <laughs> uh, okay, top five cats. Honorable mention to the cat in the hat. Discluding the Mike Myers debacle. Number five, Felix the Cat. Jeez. Is he not even going to do big cat? Number four, (laughs) He-Man's Granger slash Battle Cat. Okay. Cringer. Uh, Well, he wrote Granger. Cringer, you're right. You're right. Uh, Number three, Osriel. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, he has Brady Smurf, so that had to make the list. <laughs> Number two, Thundercats. <laughs> nice. Number one, the only, the one and only Cheshire Cat. <laughs> Great list idea. What's next week's top five? Maybe we can do favorite types of grass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There you have it, folks. Next week's topic, your top five favorite oh, types of grass. Oh, I love a good rye fescue. <laughs> mm, bluegrass. Yeah, I love that Kentucky blue. <laughs> um, <laughs> like me a nice broadleaf. <laughs> so this is what I was laughing at when I was reading this earlier today. Okay. Because uh, I, I thought, yep, I, I I absolutely know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> they're rebelling against you and your ideas. Well, if they have better ideas, they should post them to the Facebook group <laughs> where Pete will read them and tell me what they are. <laughs> I don't know why you don't go to the Facebook you know, group. I was so busy this week, I never had a chance to go to Facebook. There was some good stuff. Definitely some good stuff happened over the last I, couple I will, of weeks. I will repent and uh, visit Facebook probably on Sunday. Okay. Um, who's going first? You. I go first. Okay. I've got six here. I don't have them in any particular order. Okay. Uh, a cougar. All right. A puma, a mountain lion, a jaguar, a leopard, and a panther. <laughs> if you're wondering, <laughs> yes, those wondering. are all the different names for basically the same cat in different regions. <laughs> okay. It first originally started off as just going to be cougar, puma, and mountain lion. Uh, but then I was like, uh, oh, I kind of like a leopard. And I looked up leopard. And I was like, oh, oh, well, look, that's basically the, the, a panther and <laughs> a jaguar. And a jaguar. Okay, so my number But five. by the way, all of those cats are big cats, and yes. I think they're pretty cool. And they're also all Macintosh so, OS 6 releases. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, it was in the, still in the yep, spirit you, of it you got while it. still taking a dig at you. That's mission accomplished. Yes. Well done, Pete. Uh, my number five is the Amur Leopard. The Amur Leopard? Yes. Where is that at? Uh, it's in, I believe, South Africa. It, it's this very, very skinny and small. It's like... It's tiny. It's so, so not bigger. a big cat. It's, 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 cons- it's classified as a big cat, <laughs> but it's not the biggest of the big cats. Uh, my number four is the lion, majestic animal. Leon. Uh, my number three is the ocelot. I, I think, uh, who was it? Was it John? Uh, Leindecker. John Leindecker. Who said, yeah, I always wanted one as a pet too. I thought that they, they look like just really big house cats. That's what they look like. No, oh, you and Liney. Uh, That's his new name, Liney. Okay. Um, the number two is the white Bengal tiger. This is a recessive gene, uh-huh. and we are creating serious problems in the genetic pool of Bengal tigers because we're always trying to breed for the white tiger because that's what the, the crowds at the zoos want to see. Yeah. But uh, it's still it's a beautiful, beautiful cat. Plus, my daughter's favorite stuffed animal is a... Uh, white tiger that I bought for her when she was three years old and basically taught her to treat it the way Calvin treats hops, that it's a, it's a separate creature, a living being. It has, you know, when I'm not around, she and it have adventures and things like that. <laughs> I've done everything I can to encourage my daughter to behave like Calvin. <laughs> and uh, the number one is the snow leopard. There's this fantastic moment in the planet Earth 
series of documentaries that were co-produced by Discovery Channel and BBC uh-huh. where they filmed for the first time ever. They got a snow leopard on film. Never had been done before. And they actually – Wait, never had been done before? Never had been done before. This is the first time they'd ever felt is this like to film the, a, a snow the, leopard. The elusive Sasquatch that yeah, no one can manage to catch on film it's yet su- exists. It's super endangered. It only lives at like really high altitudes mm-hmm. in in just a few spots in the world. And there's only they, they think they think there's only like five thousand of them left. Um, so it's it's really hard to catch them on camera. These guys they went out there and they were out there two. They went out two different times in the Himalayas. For like a month each time, and never saw a sign of a of a snow leopard. They're like, yeah, we could t- we could see tracks and stuff, but we never actually saw the cat. And so then they moved on, and they later ended up going to Pakistan because they got some information that a mountain or a, a snow leopard was seen in the area. And they said, okay, we've got five days. If you guys can get us footage in five days, we'll, we'll get it in, and we'll and we'll finish this episode. So they were there for five days, and they get up on the morning of the fifth day, and they're like. Nothing. We have seen absolutely nothing. And they start packing up their gear. And then they look, and up on the ridge up above them is a snow leopard. And not only do they get the snow leopard, a mama snow leopard with her cub, but then they see the snow leopard actually hunt down this this brand of mountain goat that lives up there in the, in the Pakistani mountains. It was a fantastic scene, a great moment in that BBC series. Oh, nice. Uh, okay, so there's our list. Yep. Um, we just so we're clear, we are not doing grasses <laughs> next week. Although we appreciate the submission, Brainy. Um, Brainy, if you want to put together a list of grasses, that'd be okay. You know what? Anybody put together any topic, put it on the Facebook page, and we'll put it in the bin. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because everything I come up with, Pete shoots down. <laughs> <laughs> you pick these obscure things. That's all. Uh, okay, Brainy's Nook of Darkness. Okay. For Brainy's Nook this week, we start to spotlight the BSG writing staff. At this point, Ron Moore is marshalling a small core group of writers who will serve, who will severely influence the development of the series. We have already met Michael and Jelly, as well as Thompson Weddle. And now, introducing Michael Taylor, my favorite writer of TV. He is now doing Defiance. Awesomely. But for this debut to BSG, the polarizing unfinished business, Ron Moore approached him with the notion of a Fight Club-like episode. (laughs) Taylor writes boxing episodes in a great way. Next week, my nook will cover one of his first scripts, The Fight from Star Trek Voyager. Season 5, episode 19. A great boxing episode. Was this the one where they got The Rock to come in and uh, play a character in that? Because I remember some like... Now, that was more like a mixed martial arts team thing that he did. Anyway, look forward to hearing about that next week. He continues, One reason I love Michael Taylor is because he became a writer by accidentally being neighbor with the TNG writer-slash-producer Rene Echeverria. Rene took a Simpsons spec script that he had attempted, using it to get him a job on Trek. How cool. Here is what he had to say about this week's BSG episode. 
quote. For example, I recall that Ron was very proud of the fact that Unfinished Business had so little sci-fi business. Maybe just one shot of a raptor flying overhead in an early New Caprica scene. But then the sci-fi trappings of BSG were never the point. Which, in an odd and perhaps counterintuitive way, is why it is such a sci-fi milestone. Close quote. Coming next week, more Michael Taylor. Yay! Okay. Um, yeah, I... I'm curious as to what, you know, what's going on with Defiance. Looks kind of cool. The concept is cool. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of Unfinished Business. So yeah. if we're using that as like a standard to hold up and say, hey, look how great he is. I was like, eh, well, uh, <laughs> sure, I suppose he did write things. <laughs> and they did get filmed. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Brainy, thanks very much. Joey's Culture Corner. Okay. I have an admission to make, folks. <laughs> I have bought a new TV. Hey, cool. Only took me 18 years. Been using the same TV for 18 years. Uh, bought an HD TV. I don't know why you're talking about it. Like you're, you sound depressed right I'm now. I'm not happy about it. <laughs> I was. I, what happened was that our TiVo updated. I was just fine with my TV. I love my television. Picked out a great TV all those years ago. Never wanted to buy another television. I was just fine with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, our TiVo software updated and it switched over to HD menus and we can't switch it back. I called the TiVo technical support and their answer was basically, yeah, we know this is happening. It's only happening to about 1% of users. And all of those people have HDTVs. You're the only one who's bothered by this. (laughs) We're not fixing it for you. We're not going to fix it. (laughs) So it's either check out the the TiVo, which I'm very happy with my TiVo other than this particular incident, or get a television. So I bought a TV. Ah, yeah. It's okay. Uh, I I like the TV. What did you get? I just got a, a 40 inch Samsung flat screen LED. That sounds like a great TV. Uh, the, the thing I decided is like, okay, if I'm going to buy a TV, there's two features it must have 120 hertz. Picture in picture? Because I like watching the NFL. <laughs> uh, and I've seen the NFL on a 60 hertz television, and it's not a great experience. Well, you know, one of the other things. What wasn't your TV cutting off the edges of the NFL games because they're basically all played? Yes, yeah. That's that was. I feel like you needed uh, you needed it was time, this, right? and your need <laughs> was greatest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks for that. You're welcome. Um, the other thing I said, I decided, I was like, okay, I'm gonna shop around until I find a TV where I can plug a hard drive into the USB port of the TV. Sure, and it will play. Every single video format, or the most possible combination of video and audio codecs. Yep. So that's what we got, and that's cool. I have, you know, I've been for years. Everything I record on my TiVo, everything I buy on DVD, I rip it to a hard drive, and I've got this little three terabyte hard drive that I used to carry around in my backpack. It's now attached to the television, and we sit there and we watch Battlestar Galactica. We don't have to worry about not having internet because it's all on the hard drive. Um, the, the picture is beautiful. Yeah, it's great. 
As far as I'm concerned, there's really only two things in the world, though, that actually justify the use of high definition, or at least ones that I have come across. The NFL mm-hmm. looks fantastic in high def. Sporting events. Okay. I've only seen the NFL in high def, so. Uh, and then, as I mentioned earlier, planet Earth. To me, that is the best possible commercial for high definition that has ever been made. Oh, I thought for sure you were going to say that's the best possible. You know, it's the best commercial for conserving nature and taking <laughs> care of Mother Earth. Nope, wasn't going there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we've been watching our way through the Planet Earth series in high def, having so much fun doing it. It looks absolutely stunning. Uh, going from the 1080p Blu-ray right there, full 1080p on the TV. It's great, much better than it was on the TV that I had. Yes, so it's an improvement. And therefore, you're going to give it a thumb up. What am I giving a thumb up to? The TV? Yeah. Yeah, I'll give it a thumb up. Oh, come on. (laughs) I'm still mad about being forced into the purchase. NFL game that happens, you'd be like, oh my gosh, this was totally worth it. I I wanted to wait until the TV I had did not work anymore. I'm upset about being forced into the purchase. Okay, now something we kind of skipped over, Joey. You you said you wanted oh, yeah. to cover an adventures in Republican. Yes. Adventures in Republican. I hear a reverb in my head. <laughs> Maybe I'll add reverb to that. <laughs> I was just about to say you could add that. You probably could. Uh, okay, so it's been an interesting month here for the Republican Party. Traditionally, the Utah County Republican Party in the month of July holds their annual barbecue event. So we have two big events we try to do every year. We have a barbecue in July, and we have the Lincoln Day Dinner in February. The Lincoln Day Dinner is kind of the big expensive, by expensive, $40 a plate uh, formal or semi-formal dinner with invited speakers and things like that. And then the barbecue is usually just, okay, we know we're going to take a loss on this. In fact, we don't even usually sell tickets. We just give them away. Everybody come down, just kind of get to know your legislators and your precinct captains and things like that. This year, they handed over the uh, planning of the barbecue event to a wonderful lady, uh, one of our ledge district chairs, and she managed to get a hold of a band called The Strike, I think is the name of the band. Um, they're a pretty hot commodity right now. I know they, they played at the Stadium of Fire. And uh, apparently they're... By the way, for those people who don't know, Stadium of Fire, kind of a big deal. In it's Utah? Like, <laughs> definitely in Utah. Some of like the Intermountain West, Arizona, Idaho, Colorado's probably it's a big heard fireworks of it, show and concert. Yeah, it's a big, big patriotic thing that happens on or around the 4th of July, yeah. given that it's not on a Sunday. Because <laughs> it's, it's held at BYU campus, and they don't do things on Sunday. On the Sabbath, the Lord's Day. Anyway, so you know, people are getting really excited about this, and they, they decided, okay, well, we can't just have this anywhere, because we're going to have this band, The Strike, and there's going to be so many people who want to come see it, we have to get a concert hall of some kind. So we're, we go and we find out that the Utah Valley University, UVU, is willing to let us rent out their... This all happened before anyone involved me, by the way. 
They go out and they say, they, we, we have a $5,000 budget for this event every year. They go to the U, UVU event center and the UVU says, well, it costs $4,500 to rent oh. our big event center. And they say, great, let's do it. And then they call up the band, the strike, and they talk to them and they negotiate a $3,500 price tag for the performance. Yep. And they say, oh, you know what? We're going to have a VIP section at the concert where people will be served a prime rib dinner and it's going to cost $100 a plate. And that is going to cost us a minimum of another like $3,000. So we have to sell enough VIP dinners to pay for the additional cost. And then there will also be uh, in addition to the concert ticket, you can buy a meal ticket that's like three dollars onto the cost of the of the of the concert ticket. All told, they want to spend eighteen thousand dollars on this event, where we have a budget of five thousand dollars and we have a bank balance of twenty four thousand dollars. Since we came into office, we've raised one hundred and forty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so they call me and they want me to sign checks. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, oh, it's going to be okay. We're going to sell these VIP tickets and we have like a like 100% profit I don't know, a huge profit margin on the, the VIP tickets. We make a little bit on each concert ticket and we're going to sell booths to the legislators and the legislators can have a booth. And I said, well... I'll tell you what, you get the legislators to sign checks to pay anything over the $4,500 that we already allocated for the event. All of our other fixed costs have to be paid for before I'll, I'll sign a single check. Last night we met for executive committee, and the people planning the event decided they were going to try a little coup mm -hmm. to try and get the executive committee to vote to force me to sign the checks. So they laid out their big plan, their big event that they had planned. And again, I don't hold any ill will to these people. They're trying to do what I'm sure will be a great event, and it's entirely possible that it will make money, which is yep. what they're convinced of. But I'm the treasurer. I'm the guy who says, no, not until you've shown me it makes money. We're not paying a, a red cent. Right. So they get, they, they get up there, they make all their argument. Okay, now we'd like, to, we'd like a motion to, you know, ask the treasurer to pay for this, you know, to sign the check and do his job, pay for the event. One of the Leds district chairs says, can we have some discussion before we have a vote? That night that you're planning the event, all of the legislators will be at the Capitol. <laughs> no legislator is going to buy a table and not show up. There's a, that's the big capital party that the legislators do. Same night as a big capital party event every year. Yeah. They said, well, can't we just call our legislators and ask them to move that event? <laughs> it's no. not just Utah County that goes to that event. It's all the legislators across the whole state. And they're, they want this, they're trying to throw this thing together by April or by August 23rd. So a very compressed time frame even for the event. So. In the end, they decide to go back and see if they can find a date that's going to work. And I managed to get out of the executive committee the stipulation that I don't sign a check until they have raised 
the funds to pay for all of our fixed costs. Yep. And I ha- if they have not raised it by three weeks before the event, I have sole discretion to cancel the event entirely. Nice. So it was, it was pretty rewarding. <laughs> you've gained a measure of power. <laughs> and I'm not trying to do it out of spite. These guys, they're just, they're so optimistic and they're so enthusiastic about this event that they have rose colored glasses on and they haven't considered the worst case. And I said, I, in fact, I asked them in front of all the executive committee, this is how I won the vote. I said, okay, what's the worst case scenario here? Well, the worst case scenario is that we only sell 2,000 tickets to the concert and only sell half of the VIP chambers and only sell half of the booths. I said, okay, that's where we have a problem. Here's the actual worst-case scenario. We sell no tickets to the concert, no VIP tickets, and no booths. That's not going to happen. Do you have anyone – has anyone handed you a single dollar for this event yet? Okay. Until you have, that is the worst-case scenario. And that's what we operate on until we have money in hand. Isn't your party the party of, like, financial responsibility? That's what you'd think, right? Yeah. Fiscal conservatism – yeah, I I have been. I, they just they got so excited about this thing. There, there's a uh, a term in in government or politics. I don't know which it is. Where essentially you it has to be like something neutral. Like every dollar that's gonna be spent has to be accounted for before you do any spending. Right. I don't remember I don't, what that term is called, but it's. I don't know the specific term you're looking for, but that's the op- that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, it's basically you say, okay, the money is here, we can now allocate it to this thing, rather than saying, oh, we're going to do this thing, and yeah, we'll pay for it later. <laughs> Which yeah. is what we've been doing in the government for centuries now? Can we just say centuries? Yep, sure. Um, yeah, okay, well, good for you, standing up for... Financial uh, reasonability, <laughs> being smart with your money, not spending what you don't have. It, it, it made me think of that, that Saturday Night Live skit. Maybe we can link that in the show notes. What Saturday Night Live skit? The one with Steve Martin. The, the How to Get Out of Debt plan. You haven't seen that one? Uh, so maybe. Steve I, Martin, and I can't remember the, the female actor who's there. And it's like an infomercial. And the guy comes in, he's like... I'm I'm here to teach you about my how to get out of debt plan. It's got two easy steps. <laughs> it's like if you don't have money, don't buy anything. <laughs> and and the second step is if you're confused, go back to step number one. <laughs> and, and Steve Martin okay. keeps he's like, wait. So let me understand this. If I see something I want, but I don't have any money, I should buy it and figure out how to pay for it later. No. That's not the plan. <laughs> if you don't have the money, you don't buy it. It's easy. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, classic Saturday Night Live. Uh, okay. Anything else? Any anything else you want to bring up? Nope. Okay. Um, moving on to episodes, we are going to cover episodes nine through ten of Battlestar Galactica season three. Uh, we'll go ahead and start with episode nine. Unfinished business. In order to diffuse interpersonal strife and give the crew a chance to blow off steam, Admiral Adama holds a dance. But the only ones who end up dancing at it are Lee and Starbuck. 
Awkward. Uh, you would have been okay by just saying, this is the boxing episode. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, I, as soon as that came on, I was like, oh, right, yeah, the boxing stuff. And I will admit I kind of tuned out, but I just didn't care okay. that much. I think I've got five lines of notes. I have a few more than that. The first note that I had was Lee's in the, in the ring, and he's fighting, and we don't know why yet. And he gets he takes a hard hit to the head, mm-hmm. and he starts to they start to do the flashback thing. I swear they started playing the opera house music right there at the beginning, which I thought was a weird Maybe. thing because that's been such a distinctive piece of music. Yeah, and I didn't know what they were trying to say. Was with it that. the uh, was it? I, I know they played with Lee before some of the, like the the bagpipe stuff. Was it no anything it wasn't, like that? It wasn't bagpipes. It was very much a string. Orchestra. Oh, that's basically what bagpipes are. <laughs> I could be wrong. I uh, didn't uh, play. I didn't play many musical instruments. Uh, only a Scott could make that <laughs> mistake. <laughs> oh, that's sad. Um, yeah. So it's a boxing match, and as it turns out, they're you know this is a way for them to blow off steam. More about that part of it later. But we see um, Anders and Starbuck. Yeah. Uh, kind of getting together, hooking up, getting as it would intimate. be. And it really just, just ends up being a booty call. Yeah. Like, she's wanting no emotional connection here whatsoever. He wants to be with her. It's very weird. The, the traditional role of what a man and a woman want turned completely opposite here with these two. You know, these two episodes, I think I'm starting to get a sense of what people don't like about season three. Or at least I am getting a sense of what I don't like about season three, which is, look, Starbuck was never the person who had it all together, Ugh. but this lady is a hot mess. She is broken six ways from Sunday. Yeah. Uh, then we see another connection here. We we see Starbuck and Lee yeah. kind of together here. And what's going on here? Well, fast forward... You know, Lee's got his shirt off and he's out in the middle of this field because the night before he had just professed his undying love for Starbuck and apparently Starbuck had done the same to him. She verbally said the words. But did you notice how she said it? It was different. I grant it was different. It was a classic sign of deflection. She didn't say, I love Leodama. She said, Kara Thrace. Loves Leodama. Well, he basically said the same thing. No, he said, I am this person and I love Kara Thrace. Mm, and okay. I don't care who knows it. When people say yeah. that that is something that like psychology, if there mm-hmm. were a psychologist in the room, they would have dove on that right away and said, whoa, 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 whoa. You, got, you, guys, you two have a serious problem here. She is not as committed to this as you are. Um, well... Lee, to quote you earlier, had the rose-colored glasses on and thought that they were making a connection. She ditches out on him, and later on marries, like that morning, says, Hey, Anders, come on, let's go get married. And they get married. So either the the lovemaking between Starbuck and Lee just wasn't that good, (laughs) or, you know, she, Starbuck, is messed up. Um, Okay, so getting back to... Uh, this boxing match. They talk about how, you know, we're all cooped up here. This is a way to kind of help clear the air. This is it's what we do 
everybody throws their their uh, dog um, tags dog tags into the bowl, and that means you can be called up. You can call somebody out of the crowd. You can basically get everything off of your chest, beat each other out of it. And I th- I was thinking, oh wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. But that doesn't really actually solve anything because it just reinforces that the biggest bully <laughs> gets his way. Okay. And the person who may be logically, mentally more astute and, you know, is right, still gets the crud pounded out of them by this big, tough guy. I see your point. Um, and so I was thinking, is that really a good idea to do this? I I think in a scenario like this where it has been drilled into them that you get in the ring, you have it out, and then once you got, once you exit the ring, you let it all the rest of it go. Sure. I think they, I think they've been conditioned <laughs> for this to be effective. And and no one ever carries a grudge ever. I, I think that they for the most part most of them have been successfully psychologically conditioned to let this work. I don't know. And that's my answer to the question. I the idea of it kind of sounds good, but I think that you're to call the person out that you have the anger and frustration with. I I just don't know that that solves the issue really. I just don't think that you can solve much by, you know, throwing on a pair of boxing gloves and beating each other. <laughs> It, it clearly, you know, that's a a, con, uh, a connection to me. Uh, it wouldn't work for me, which is maybe why I'm a little hesitant to say, you know what, this is a good idea. Now, I don't think it would be a good idea to do it on, like, all of the other ships, like the civilian ships, yeah. because they're basically in the same position. They're cooped up, they've got nowhere to go, and then, you know, tempers are going to flare, on a military ship, yeah, maybe it's a little better of an idea because they're at least predisposed to that um, physicality sure. nature of being in the military. I have to say, when I was in like late elementary to early middle school, one of my better friends was a kid who was a bully, uh-huh. and he tried to pick a fight with me. Yes. I, I know I've told you this story. Have I told this on the podcast I before? think you have, because you've mentioned how your mother Last has taught job. you how yeah. to box. The guy had a glass jaw, caught him in the jaw, he passed out, and when he woke up, he had some respect for me, and he actually grew as a person as a result of that punch. He stopped bullying people and and things like that, and we became friends, and so I can see how it might work. Okay. Okay. Um, big, I'm sure you're probably excited. Ellen Ty was back. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. I actually thought I thought, well, you know, it's just a flashback. We're gonna see her just here for a few seconds, right? <laughs> My wife said, "Not real happy to see that one back on the TV." <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor hatred for Ellen. <laughs> um, so an interchange happens. Uh, one of the the mechanic guys comes up to Tyrrell and is like, "Hey, with this." This this bird is down. We need to take care of this. And he's like, ah, oh, let's watch the fight here. And Commander Adama sees this and shouts over to Tyrrell, hey, bird down? To ask him as though giving him the chance to say, yeah, okay, let's go take care of this. No, Tyrrell says, 
Ah, we'll get to it later. Let, let the men have their, their fun for a while and watch this. And so the, the fight ends that was going on, and Adama gets into the ring and calls out Tyrrell. Yeah. Says, let's go. Let's do this. And so this really brutal fight between the two of them, <laughs> um, in the end, is all about Adama needing to help teach a lesson to his people. Okay. But. But what? He doesn't hold to the lesson he taught them. In what, what regard? So, he his whole thing is, I let you guys get too close. I started treating you like family. We need to go back to this being the military. In the very next episode, he's going to break all of that. Okay, well, let's cover that in the next episode. Okay. All right. That doesn't take away from what he does here in this moment. If you say so. Because he allows himself to get just pummeled. Yeah. In the end, yeah, he knows his boxing stuff, but Tyrrell's the younger guy. Yes. He's stronger and is able to literally bloody Adama. And so that metaphor of him standing there saying, I've let you walk all over me. Look at me now right here. I am, you know, this terrible thing because I allowed this to happen. I let this go on. Well, you know what? No more. I am. I was the. I was wrong. I was, You know. I stand here wounded, physically, but also, you know, as as your commander, as your admiral, as a, a an internal person, I was wrong, and I've been beaten. No more. That's done. I love that metaphor that they use. It's the best thing about this episode. Okay. As far as I'm concerned. And it does its job. Tyrrell says, all right, you, let's go. Let's go and get that bird taken care of. Yeah. And it's it's the impetus that he needs to get back onto to his job and, and do things the way that it should be done. Okay. I find that beautiful. Uh, let's see here. Oh, uh, Adama and Roslyn. We yeah. see uh, <laughs> their... Snuggling? Uh, yeah, snuggling. Uh, they're on the planet, and then their, you know, their continued friendship is apparently Rosalind enjoys boxing. <laughs> Do you actually like watching boxing? So my wife and I had this conversation. Uh, because I learned boxing to some extent, I appreciate the artistry of what's going on. Uh-huh. I, I appreciate the technical skill that those guys are displaying. Um, so I can watch it and... Not be horrified by it, but I don't seek it out. Now, I will say there have been a few boxing matches that I have sat down with the intention to watch them, but they were like big historical events like Sugar Ray Leonard and, and uh, Foreman and things like that, you know, I, where, where it was a big deal and I wanted to see what the big deal was and I wanted to appreciate, try and appreciate in context what was going on. Uh huh. But I don't. I certainly don't like do the pay-per-view. Oh yeah, the big fight this weekend. Y'all coming over? No, not my thing. Okay, good for you. You? No. Not even I, a little? No. Okay. Just never got into it at all. Okay, um, I, I I would the comparison I would make is I feel the same way watching a boxing match as I do watching a soccer match. If that makes sense. Where I'm like, okay, 
I can appreciate that what those guys doing there is difficult. There's there's this level of physical skill that's on display here mm-hmm. that I could have never matched even in the prime of my year, years. I can appreciate it for that. Okay, I'm not going to sit down and turn one on. I get that. I just I don't see it as a sport that I care about. Okay. It just just people beating each other. I'd rather watch a chess game. Uh <laughs> well, that's just immoral. <laughs> no way am I going to watch that. Uh, okay, so Lee and Starbuck, they, you know, Adama calls everything off. It's like, okay, fight's over, we're done, let's all go back to work. But no, Lee and Starbuck decide to go at it. And I don't understand why it suddenly turns into an MMA match. <laughs> I guess Starbuck's losing? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's exactly what happened. There's no one there to enforce the rules, yeah, and Starbuck's that's losing. Uh, that's true. Um... So, I, in the end, I wrote here, betrayed and forgiveness. I guess the two of them have forgiven each other I through this boxing so match. at all. But the betrayal comes to the? their spouses who see this emotional, you know, betrayal to them. Okay. So, Anders, I feel bad for. D, let me read you the exact note. I'd feel bad for D if she weren't a Cylon. Oh. <laughs> Okay. So, but uh, I don't. I don't think Starbuck and and Apollo have forgiven each other. I think that they allowed a crack into the armor that they were both wearing. But it's not this. This relationship what, is by no means healed. What about battled to a truce? Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Okay. Uh, do you have any more comments, or can I go to listener comments? Because uh, I don't want to talk about those anymore. Let's. Let me just go through my notes here and make sure. Oh, uh, I thought it was interesting that Adama initially denied Turtle's request to be relieved of duty to go settle on, Apri- on Caprica. Yep, but and he then, got soft. Well, Roslyn talked him into it, kind of, right? He still got soft, didn't yeah, he? Well, that's what happens when you fall in love, Pete. Don't ever, ha- don't ever fall in love. Okay, I, and that's then, good uh, advice. The, the last one was, and I, I wish I wrote down who, who said this. I guess it was Starbuck, probably. The war's over and so's all the good stuff. When they were going down to the planet, all the people, different people were talking about, okay, yeah, I'm going to the planet. I'm going to stay. Somebody said, I think it was Starbucks, yeah, the war's over, and so is all the good stuff. And I'm like, boy, what a horrible mental state. Oh, was she talking about the fact that flying for her would just be yes, dumb because that's what there it was, was nothing? Yep, that's what it was. Okay. So it wasn't a war specifically. But it she was, was pining after, but it was the fact the that the adrenaline was be junkie. Boring. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um, listener comments here. We're gonna go to Brainy. He says, "Adama boxing, yay!" But Hilo could crush anyone. I suspect at least one of you dudes hates this episode. Yep, that was me. It's quite devoid of any sci-fi element, save the awesome transition shots, like when Adama and Rosalind look up at the sky and we fade to see the bucket floating serenely. When Michael Taylor wrote this episode, it was a mini-movie. There are subsequently two versions of this episode in the DVD. The two episodes are completely different. Different takes of the actors are even mostly used. This episode is a character piece. My preferred version, the longer one, completely centers on the story of the old man and chief. 
and that's the part I love the most, because we get a deeper portrait of the old man. I also don't know if the scenes of the old man and Rosalind stargazing made it to the on-air version, but the performances given by the two actors are beautiful. And although you dudes may not approve, according to Ron Moore, the old man and Rosalind are definitely smoking reefer through the episode. (laughs) My favorite scene in this episode is one that didn't make the on-air version. Uh, Old man and Rosalind are laying there under the night sky. She has her head on his shoulder. He is still toking. And then all of a sudden, he just sings her this raspy, old blue little song. It's great. And so is his bloody-faced speech. This episode is much better when you acknowledge that Starbuck is already dead, omitting her deplorable story. <laughs> when did she die in his, he, he's in just his saying, version? Like, let's just make it easier. I'm she, saying he has to give me a point at which I should write her out of the Oh, he the did episodes. several episodes back. But he didn't, like, he just yeah, said he did. she's dead by this point. He didn't actually say it was this, the very first time here's he where she died. Okay, the fact that she's just dead. All right, I need him to. I need him to give it back to me again because I missed it. Sci-fi exclamation point! Probably TV one eight music nine. I I guess so. <laughs> um. Okay, let's uh, go to listener M. Or maybe he meant not. <laughs> uh, hey, dudes! The song for this week has to be Detroit. From the original score of The Happiest Millionaire. Detroit has now vanquished its foes and can move forward. Hooray for capitalism. (laughs) It's up to you, Detroit, Detroit. No. No? (laughs) That's New York, New York. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure about coming up with a top five or even top ten favorite songs. There are so many tunes that I like across multiple genres. Anyhow, I'll give it some thought. By the way, whenever you talk about music, it makes me takes me longer to get through your show. I pause the podcast and listen to the artists that you mention. Wow. Let's let's mention a whole bunch of artists right now. Billy um, Joel. Uh, Frank Sinatra. Johnny Cash. Um, Green Day. Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> Alanis Morissette, Tori Amos, uh, Blind R- Melon, is that a, yeah, is that Blind a group? Melon's a mu- music, music group. Yeah. Okay, not not my favorite by any means. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, I like some uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. I like a few of their songs. Um, yeah, they've got some good stuff. Nirvana, Californication. I, I still enjoy some Nirvana. Oh yeah, good stuff. All right, uh, go listen to Californication and uh, something from Nirvana. We'll wait here. <laughs> Um, he continues, I'm not falling for your email ploy again this week. I don't think you are going to be talking about collaborators and torn. <laughs> yes, that's true. I did forget to put that on there again. Oh, um, did you really forget to do the episodes again? Yeah, they're left in the same, the exact same ones. After and, all the crap you did last week. And Brainy mentioned it on the Facebook wall, and I... Once I saw it there, I was like, damn it, not again. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Silly me. Anyway, he says about unfinished business, I liked that the crew got a chance to relax and unwind. There hasn't been this much sexual tension in a TV show between two main characters since Sam and Diane in Cheers. What? Mulder and Scully. 
Yeah. 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 I'm. Yeah. I'm good with that. Because Starbuck just is <laughs> not attractive. No, I agree with you. There. Apollo and Starbuck both need to get over themselves and just get together already. Television five, science fiction five. Oh, did he really just say that he wants them to cheat on their spouses? Uh, <laughs> it's all know. for adultery, apparently, as long as it's in service of a good story. <laughs> Pete, science fiction rating. Um, four. Wow, I gave it a two. I didn't see hardly any science fiction in this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Uh, television, I'm going to give a six. And again, it's just like kind of middle of the road stuff. There wasn't terrible acting or anything in it. It's just the story isn't solid. I felt like it was acted fairly well. I didn't like some of the actors. But what was so solid for me was the, the whole Adama speech uh, and the pounding that he took okay. over and over again. I, I gave it a four. I really feel like I'm seeing the the season three slump that a lot of people were bothered by, and I'm hoping they break out of it here pretty quick. Moving on to the next episode, The Passage. Cat is a fraud, and Starbuck is something even worse. Also, Xenalon becomes a suicide junkie. Uh, uh, let's see. We got two main storylines. We got the, the Cylons, we got the humans. Let's just split them up. Okay. Talk about them separately. Um, so the humans... Running dangerously low on food. Yeah, apparently there's some kind of tainted product. Yep. And it got mixed in with the good stuff. And now they did a count and they're down to like seven to ten days worth of food left over. And that's it. Then we just start cannibalizing people. (laughs) I don't believe they actually explicitly (laughs) mentioned that as an option. (laughs) Uh, I know it's uh, I, it's on the table, as far as I'm concerned. Ah, I see what you did there. On the table. Um, so, they are searching for a way through this radiation field. So the this, star uh, cluster. This, yeah. All of the this matter here. To me, that is the only interesting idea in the entire episode. Really? I Not love... the fact that they're running out of food. That was, that was I, I thought it was great that they addressed that. But the science fiction aspect of we're going to try and navigate our way through the core of a star cluster is okay. fascinating. That is, that is true. That's very, very cool. But I love the fact that every other real science fiction-y show that I've ever watched, they just take food as yep, we, we all have food. Yeah. It's just like in, you know, in Dungeons & Dragons, technically there's a place for you to account for the food that you eat. Yeah. But every game I've ever been involved in, food just happens. <laughs> you you pack it along with you. It's always plentiful. You don't you, keep track in, in when we're n- playing? I've ne- we never kept track of that. Oh. Ever. I have never once had any dungeon master who said, okay, now deduct your rations, please. Well, we, as a dungeon master, I'm just expecting that you're doing that and oh, telling me when you're good Lord, no. buying rations in the next town. No. Uh, it's ac- that's actually one of the many long list of things that keeps me from ever seriously considering going to a role-playing ca- game convention like Gen Con because I know that I could never play the way that the rules actually say. It's, there's so many things that we ignore to make the story interesting. Yeah. And I'm like, you're going to go out there and there's going to be a bunch of people like, 
Are you keeping? You're not keeping track of your food. What's your problem, man? It's right here on page thirty-seven. Yeah, that no, that would be terrible. So anyway, Athena manages to figure out a way through, and on the other side, there's this planet. Yeah. How they know that planet's there, I don't know. The Book of Pythia. Does do they specifically state no. that that okay? So prove it's wrong. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, the the planet is there, and she manages to find it, and it has this plentiful protein source, algae, algae, yeah, which is like oh man, that's we have Doc Cottle with his uh, tastes like gravel, but uh, hey, it's you know pure protein, pure protein, so it it will sustain life. Um, so what they decide to do is they're going to shuttle them across. They, they, they call the, the Raptors are going to lead them out in front and there's going to be, you know, they're going to act as the shepherds for, for their, I don't know uh, why you don't bolt the Raptors to their ships. That'd be a pretty cool (laughs) way to, to do it. I, I, that seems reasonable, (laughs) you know, uh, but I, I don't know. Something else must be going on there. I, I don't know. Um, uh, let's see here. Cat. Oh, wait. I had... Okay, we'll come back to... No, well, let's just do it now. Because radiation is an issue. The All of the pilots are going to, you know, wear this radiation little mm-hmm. dial thing the badge. That, that's going to tell them, okay, you've had enough radiation. Go radiate off yourself for a while. Um... Radiation is a really, really big issue. Yeah. Because once you get outside of our planet, there's radiation everywhere. And it's one of the concerns about flying to Mars. Yes. Uh, I listen to a few space things. I follow a few different space people. And so it's one of those things that they're like, we know that there's ways to do it, but like the trade-off in order to do it is ridiculous that you know it the kind of shielding you have to have in things yes yeah and we've always just kind of ignored i guess in in star trek lore it's sort of like well our shields yes we have to handle it it blocks all of that out for you okay fine fine babylon 5 probably much the same thing it's like oh well just take care of this and for the most part in this series it's the exact same nope no radiation problems and I guess they kind of address it with the Raptors to say, you know, they they can actually handle a nuclear blast. You know, they're they're set to survive right. that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, long term things, it's clearly not blocking out the radiation. Otherwise, the pilots would be protected. It seems like the um, the Galactica itself is a little bit more protected because yeah. it seems like it's got a thicker, you know, skin. But all of the other civilian ships, eh, not so much. What are they doing with all of those civilian ships out there? Like, what what is that plan that they've got in place? Because let's assume that n- this was never a problem. Okay. You know, with Cylons never came and attacked. They were still going to have civilian ships traveling around in space, well, having to deal with this radiation. I'm the, curious the, ship, how. the ships have some radiation resistant shielding. On the ships, it's the fact that inside the star cluster, it's so concentrated. Sure, sure. I, I'm not. We're considering the star cluster. I'm talking about the ships themselves. 
what do they have? I think it's just metal. I mean, just metal shielding. Uh, okay. But we've seen windows That's on the true. <laughs> That's true. Leaded glass. <laughs> Leaded glass. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just... I know that it's a big issue, and no one has ever really tried to tackle it um, and successfully found yeah. a way to do it. And I know if they can manage to solve that, then that's a huge hurdle. So I remember when I was off to Mars a teenager or, or elsewhere. Yeah, I remember when I was a teenager reading about somebody who had this theory. I don't know if they ever disproved it or if it just didn't wasn't practical or what. Who was saying that? If the ship was a magnetic coil, an electromagnet, a giant okay. electromagnet, that that would have the same effect as our magnetosphere, the mm-hmm. same protective you know, properties as a magnetosphere here on Earth. And right. I don't know if they've ever proven out whether there's a practical way to implement that or if it's still kind of, yeah, we just don't know how to do it in a cost-effective way. I yeah. don't know whatever happened with that concept. Yeah, I, I don't know of, of that either. And you're right. The, you used the words that I couldn't come up with earlier, which is cost-effective. You know, there's a trade-off to do it. Yeah, we this this method, method would work, but the ship would have to be the size of Australia in order to properly do it. Or, you know, let's line the entire ship with water on the outside because the radiation, you know, can't go through the water that well. It gets diffused. Um I don't. It's just. It's an interesting idea, interesting concept. That I know. uh, David Brin addressed that in one of his novels. That uh, a lot of the human interstellar ships are actually long cylinders filled with water, and it's a combination of humans and dolphins that pilot the ships. (laughs) Sure. Actually, I remember you mentioning the dolphin part of it. It's it's a fantastic series, Star Tide Rising. I really enjoy it. Um, okay, so Kat, turns out, has a past as this person named Sasha. Yeah. And she meets up with this skeevy-looking guy who's like, wait, I recognize you. Hey, you're this person. You're going to get with me. And so she kind of has this battle all through the episode, like, you know, giving in to him, telling him, oh, you know, get away from me. I'm not that person anymore. That person's dead. You know, whatever. As far as I'm concerned, the only story here is the way Starbuck behaves. And that's barely a story. It is deplorable. Period. Uh, what do you mean? What, what the, the fact that she figures out this and then tries to torture her with it? Yes. It, okay. Starbuck is, at this point, just into giving pain. Mm-hmm. Giving and receiving pain. Yeah. And she just... She is so broken as a character, as, as a you know the character of Starbuck is so broken as a person. I guess is the more accurate way to say that. That it's just not even fun to watch her on the screen anymore. It's just it's too horrifying to watch the things that she's doing to herself ah, and yes. others. Welcome to the dark side. Hate the Starbuck. <laughs> I love the Starbuck from the first part of the season. <laughs> still, not I do not care for what, what they're doing with the character right here. So Ty comes back into CIC. He's yeah. you know, he's awkwardly standing out in the hallway and then finally comes in and I, I almost word for word predicted his response to the applause. 
<laughs> and I, the, the, like, I wrote down, so I wrote down, uh, I can't remember. I, I, I wrote down, I guess I erased it because I didn't get it word for word, but I wrote down what I thought he was going to say just before he said it. Then I thought, you know, I think that would pretty much be Pete's response if everyone started applauding when he came into work after an absence and just be like, all right, people, get back to work. Stop it. <laughs> you have jobs to do. Get them done. Which is the the perfect thing for, uh, you know, the... The the project manager to do? <laughs> I was going to say uh, Ty is the executive officer. That's what he should be doing. Um, okay, so they're going to start making the, the trips through. They're going to lose some ships yeah. in the process. And the pilots are hit hard because they're you know having to go back and forth through all of this. They're dealing with the radiation sickness. They're dealing with the emotional difficulty of the fact that they're losing these people and they're gone. Yeah, and also the the exposure, not just to the radiation, but the you know they're they're actually having to do visual inspections into the heart of a star cluster to find their ships, and staring into that kind of brightness and stuff like that. That's just it's got to be emotionally racking. Yes, yes, having the ship actually right on them would have been a really really good way to handle that. It's a shame you weren't there to protect them. Uh, let's see here. Oh, I wrote the note. Who is Starbuck to give a moral lecture to anyone? Yeah. But we've covered that. I uh, hear they're still eating paper. Is that true? <laughs> no. There's a paper shortage. Right <laughs> scene. Oh, what a funny, funny scene to that. Because it's just, they're so down. That it's, just, yeah. it's coming to the end for them. And what's there left to do? Laugh. You either got to laugh or cry. Those are the only options left. <laughs> so uh, they're making their last run. Cat loses her ship and doesn't jump out. She continues to search and search and search for her ship to, well, I guess you say she should have not gone out at all because right. her badge was black. She stole helos. She goes out there because I think like she feels like she maybe wanted to either atone for it or just die she wanted to die and that's why i don't think there's anything admirable about what cat does here now if i'm the guy on the ship that got saved certainly i see cat as a hero but from the point of view of an omniscient viewer Mm -hmm. i don't respect what cat did here she i I can see maybe where you're going with the whole she runs from her trouble she just wants to let it all burn out and she doesn't have to deal with it she doesn't have to deal with the consequences of her past decisions. Yep. I, I get I totally get what you're And I don't think But she, she does a heroic act. You know, heroism in the face of a problem that you created doesn't impress me. And that's what I was trying to get out was I think that she goes out there, A distracted, B already suffering from radiation sickness. And the fact that she loses her ship here, uh-huh. I think, is a symptom of the bigger play that's going on. And I, I totally see everywhere that you're coming from. Okay. I would just disagree and say, like I said, yes, she's made, she's wrong, but she does still do the heroic act. She if, if, still, I, if I'm on that ship, yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe a little slower of a okay. slow clap. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so. She brings her ship home. Everybody's like so excited, and she raises her hands up in it, 
exaltation, and then falls over. <laughs> and I knew that was coming, and I just laughed at the, at the scene. Yeah. Which, you're not supposed to be laughing at that scene. <laughs> anyway, she's there in the hospital, and Starbuck comes along and hands her a bottle of pills and says, Here, here's some sleeping pills. It's and enough. Just say, it's enough. Which is her way of saying... You know, I've forgiven you. It's done. It's over. You've suffered. Really? Enough. That's what you. That's what you got. Was I forgiven you? Yes. Here's what I got out of it. Please kill yourself before anyone can find out what a I was to you. Oh, whatever. That's what I thought was no, going on. No, you're wrong on I that thought, one. <laughs> I think Starbuck was ashamed of how she treated Cat. No, absolutely not. Starbuck has no shame whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Your argument is flawed right uh, there. Right, okay. Um, so Adama comes in and uh, he promotes her to the CAG he knows she's dying she's dead Well, and, and they don't even have the ceremony until she's apparently dead well so, I don't think she lives past that yeah. moment I think she's all I'm saying is that there. then they promote a dead person to the CAG that doesn't make any sense I think for all of the other pilots in there they it, okay. sit back and say she was one of our own they don't know any of the history about her they only know the cat sure, that she sure. presented to them and that's what you do for the rest of the group okay it's what i would do for you joey if <laughs> you died while coding i would go into all of the rest of the people and say this when, when is the, our lead developer when the, when the radiation from my monitors <laughs> finally does me in <laughs> Uh, okay, so let's see. That's the human line. The Cylon stuff. We Someone asks a cool question. Uh, well, it's Gaius, who says, what What do you do on these ships? Yeah. What What, what is there to do for You're, li- you're living like fleas on the back of this cat or something like that? Yeah. And it's a, it's an interesting question. We have no idea what these, you know, human form Cylons are actually doing. Yeah. Are are they experimenting in some way? I would assume probably Certainly in the bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> well, someone's got to. We need to understand human physicality. Uh, let's see here. Gaius wants to belong someplace. And he's thinking he still might be a Cylon and he wants a place. He wants to belong. He doesn't want to be on the outside. I don't think you read that totally different than mm-hmm. I do. I think Gaius just wants to know the Cylons aren't going to kill him. Um, I think he wants to be a Cylon because then he's one of them and he doesn't have to die. Right. I I think we're arguing the same thing. It's just, remember, Gaius is in it for Gaius. Okay. And he wants to belong to some place that is going to allow Gaius to continue to be I just don't ascribe that much humanity to his actions here. It's just pure selfish greed of not wanting to be dead. (laughs) Um... Gaius, uh, he goes in and he he talks to Xena and basically says, "Hey, you're killing yourself, yeah, over and over again." And you know why are you doing this? She kind of explains. It's at this point that I I started to clue in. If she's doing this to herself, I, I I'm wondering if the people that we saw huddle around the resurrection tub. The the first time she did this, uh-huh. is there like a whole bunch? There's like a bunch of Cylon death groupies here that are um, doing. They're, they're they're covering for each other, and they're. It could be that, or it could just be the fact of oh, 
it's a traumatic experience. We're going to be here for this person. And so there's these Mother Teresa saint-like Cylons who are always wanting to give comfort and care to whoever it is that's coming out of it. I realize Could we, be I realize we have nothing things, in the universe to answer it. I yeah. believe what you have is a group of Cylons that have become death junkies. Yeah, the only thing that we know in episode is that six Gal- uh, um, Caprica, Caprica six doesn't seem to know what's going on. No, she got the info from. She's the one who told Gaius. She just mentioned to Gaius, "We're not sure where she's going," and some of us are beginning to wonder about it. Oh, and then okay. he ca- he sees her in the hallway, and he's like, "Hey, you got some of that resurrection gunk in your hair." Which why I didn't see any. Did you I didn't see any? either? No. Okay, well, <laughs> I, I missed what... that too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I don't think. I I have the distinct impression Caprica Six is not part of this group okay. of death and junkies. Gaius just put it together yes. himself. Yeah. Okay. All right. I I can go on. Uh, I I loved Gaius's exchange with the hybrids. Yes. So that's so cool. The uh, the first time we were introduced to them, I was not as interested in them or as intrigued by them as you are. But his exchange with her that was pretty cool. I enjoyed that. So awesome! It's just this weird other oracle type thing yeah. that uh, tells him, let's see here, he learns about the Eye of Jupiter. Yes. Uh, well, she says something, and then he kind of makes logical jumps along yep. to say, oh, well, we need to get to this place. That's a place where we need to go. Um, that is super cool in, in my book. And that's basically the the storyline. He manages to make a connection with these hybrids, and they sense something in him. Um, uh, I can't remember what they said about him, but it was it had meaning to it as well. It wasn't just gibber. As soon as she yeah. he touched, she said her, a mind that burns like fire or yes, something like that. Yes. Uh, a couple, just a couple Wait, other well, notes. Um, I used to eat paper. Okay. Thought I'd throw that out there. When you say eat paper, did you, you know, wad up an entire thing, stick it in your cheek no, like I, it was tobacco? And just- I would, uh, <laughs> I, I would just tear off little little shreds of paper and chew on them and swallow them to make my stomach not feel so empty. Okay. Uh, probably didn't do myself any favors <laughs> there, <laughs> gastrointestinally speaking. Um, the the star cluster, as I said, I, I actually. I would like to know which writer came up with that because that was a pretty unique or at least original to me concept. Uh, okay. We're going to navigate through a star cluster. That was just – I was fascinated by that. What was interesting is the fact that they had said, look, we can't go around it. We don't have the time necessary to be able to jump around it right. to get to this planet. It, we'll run out of food first. We have to go through. And then uh, just the only other really thing I wanted to mention was – well, I guess there's two things. First, l- let me start with the last thing, which is it's just a strange way to decide to kill off a character by giving her a whole depth of backstory first. It's k- kind of unusual. I don't know. Right we- before we kill her off, we're going to develop her more deeply as a character and then kill her. I just thought that's not something you see a lot in TV shows. It's kind of a risky move by the production staff. But the bigger issue to me is that I think Adama's actions towards Cat, 
here on her deathbed absolutely invalidate everything he just did in the boxing match. Why? Because he gave comfort to a dying person? Because he's like, oh, you were like the daughter that I never had. I always wanted a daughter. I'm so glad I had you. Okay, there's a difference. She's dying. But there's She's other done people being there. A pilot. And there was nobody else there. It was just him and her in the sick bay. There was no one else there. She's dying. Have some compassion, man. <laughs> I, I, I think it's great that he comforts her. I think he went too far in doing so. Exactly if, as far as he said that he was not going to be doing here's, anymore. Here's the difference. If she was going to survive, then you are correct. He should absolutely not be down there coddling her in that fashion. That would be absolutely the worst and wrong thing to do. Um, if she is going to die, which she was, and she did, <laughs> that is totally an okay thing to do. And he's not walking back on anything that he said before about being too tough. Uh, if it's Tyrrell that he's you know going to go down to the sick bay or down down into the uh, landing bay and talk to him about his feelings, <laughs> yeah, whoa, <laughs> then he's totally wasted all of his time in that boxing match. But in this case, he oh. is caring for another human being, and she's dead. My my sociopathy continues to plague the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I don't see it. <laughs> Uh, do you have any other notes, or can no. you go to comments? We, let's listen to comments. All right. Uh, let's see here. Listener M says, Overall, this was a pretty good episode, but there are a lot of unanswered questions. Was there an investigation into the failure of the fleet-wide food processing system? How do they know it is not the result of sabotage? Hmm. The Cylons might be responsible. Was the real food, like meat, Fresh fruits and drinks all used up? If there was no contamination, how long would the fleet's food supply have lasted? Also, Baltar confronts Deanna about her repeated resurrections. How is she able to keep what she is doing secret when other models are helping her when she downloads into a new body. Told you they're groupies. <laughs> Shouldn't the others question why she is using up so many bodies? I think it's a realistic question because how many other people are dying? They're I, not. I think, they're not in wartime right now. So I don't think. I don't think there's inventory control on this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Computers would never be able to keep track of numbers. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> well, they, it's not that they can't. I just don't think they do. <laughs> it's just, they, nobody ever thought, hey, you know what? Let's keep track of how many bodies we're going through. Yeah. It appears that Baltar is being led to the Eye of Jupiter to meet up with the humans. Oh, and Cat dies. Thank goodness we won't have to watch the Stim no Junkie anymore. Television 7, Sci-Fi 7, Later Dudes, have a great week. Listener M. Mark, good email. Thank you very much. Um, I actually kind of like Cat. She was okay. I mean, picking Starbuck or Cat? Cat. Starbuck. Oh, wow. Even wow. even broken Starbuck. Can't agree. All right, Brainy Smurf. I really think that Jane Espenson is a fantastic writer. 
and this episode is a good little hero story for Cat. I don't love it, but once rewatching, I found it incredulously uh, compelling. More importantly, it contains my favorite scene of the whole fracking series. The old man and Ty chillin'. Old man. I hear they're still eating paper. Is that true? Saul. No. Paper shortage. (laughs) A great moment of laughter ensues. I also think this episode is one of those examples where Bear's compositions outshine the episode content. Hmm. Yay for Bear. Sci-Fi 7, TV 7, Music 10. Joey's Final Cinco. (laughs) Is Handhole the old man's new surrogate daughter? Yes. Okay. Two. I wonder how he's going to react when he finds out she's a Cylon. (laughs) Ah, Just kidding. Uh, Two. Lee is in his marine kill all phase right now. What phase is next for him? Homemaker, Mr. Mom. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, that's a great movie I haven't seen in a long time. (laughs) Okay, this next question I don't even understand, um, but I'm going to read it anyway, because I don't think it gives anything away, but it's just weird. Three, how else can your murder Athena to resurrect her plan work? How else can your murder Athena to resurrect her plan work uh that was remember athena is face hole hand hole right this he's referring to my speculation in a previous podcast that uh hilo was going to kill his wife so that she would resurrect on the ship and pass the immunity to the disease to the rest of cylon kind oh okay so how was that uh how is that going I, to work? I, I don't know. I, I've read you the question. Yeah, as it is no, I, I'm saying I, I think I think I understand what he's asking. So m- my thought was that since the disease passes as part of the bioelectric signal, then surely the immunity to it can also pass as part of the bioelectric signal. It's figured that they are complementary forces in that way, and so when she resurrected on the resurrection ship. She then spreads through the network of interconnected resurrection tubs the immunity to this disease, and then she would have to have escaped. And I, so, in my mind, I was thinking it, it was probably they were probably going to do it like a, uh, you know, how sometimes when you go to get the flu shot and you kind of get the flu a little bit, but you get a milder version than if you had not gotten a flu shot. So I thought, okay, so they're going to get a milder form in the in the process of getting the immunity, they're going to get slightly stricken and she'll use that moment to escape back to the fleet. Yeah. Technically I think there is still some dead loss that comes like statistically there are people who could still die from the flu shot that goes out. Sure. Okay. Number four, this one's weird as well. Okay. I have no idea where he's going with this. Do the math. How many Cylon skin jobs do we know of now add the final five now aren't there supposed to be 12 models what gives okay so we know simon pr guy leoban xena caprica 
Sharon, Cavill. Cavill. So there's seven. Mm-hmm. You add five more. That's twelve. Yep. I think he, may, he must have forgot of one of them. <laughs> one of those. I don't know. It's a weird question. Like those three and four. I don't understand what he's trying to say. Brainy, I'm sure that I've screwed this up somehow. <laughs> and if I have, I apologize and look forward to your chastening me or pointing out what we asked incorrectly. I, I don't I don't know what you should answer okay. to, to that. Because there's twelve. Did we miss one? Nope. Because I've got them written out right here. Okay. He wrote them out down below. <laughs> he wrote them all, all 12 out here. <laughs> oh, really? Not the names, but like the numbers and the names that we do know. He wrote them all out here for me. So, so I the names of the final five were right there on that? No. Oh. oh. The ones we know. And, and the five not. gaps. Yes. Okay. I don't... Okay. We're just going to move on to okay. number five. <laughs> for this week, we are going to take a break... A consider and consider the Cylons that we know and conjecture as to what they chose, choose to project as their environment. Okay. For instance, I think Doral imagines a world where everything is made of toilet paper (laughs) due to his affinity for waste management. Okay, now you do the rest. Here's a roll call. Cylons okay. go. Number one, Cavill. Uh, I think Cavill moves in a a slum, uh, just a dark pit elbow of the universe. <laughs> like there's just nothing good. There's filth all around. Okay. Nah, number two, Leoben. I think Leoben sees cathedrals everywhere. Okay. So he's just always walking in some holy place. Yeah. Okay. Number three, Xenalon. Uh, I see her as projecting a high-tech futuristic business city. Kind of like Caves of Steel kind of thing. Okay. Number four, Simon. Uh, I don't know. We, I don't have enough information about him as a character. All we really know is the doctor. Yeah. That's about it. So he's in a hospital, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I, I don't feel like that's a strong one. Like the other ones I felt very strong about. This one I'm just like, uh, I just don't know much about him as a character. Okay. Number five, Doral the TP King. <laughs> Would you care to, the, to, to, to do something other than TP? Yes. Uh, I see Doral as working in a cubicle farm, projecting a cubicle farm. <laughs> okay. Number six. Six. Um, she told us a forest, right? Yep. Number eight, face hole, hand hole, boomer, Sharon, Athena. So we don't know who number seven is. Okay. Uh, Athena. What What kind of... By the he, way, those numbers mean nothing. Okay. <laughs> the yeah, fact just, that they just skipped Just so one. we're clear, I was nice to you at least once. Thank you. <laughs> um, I I think that Athena projects... Battlestar Galactica. Huh. Okay. All right. That's it. Brainy, good email. Um, Despite the odd questions that I had uh, trouble with, 
Uh, always, always, always good to hear from you. Uh, and uh, to to John and JD, thank you very much for sending stuff in. Um, and to my nephew, John Black, you are so right about Fringe. It's awesome. Hmm. I'm so glad you made me finally watch that. Okay, Joey? Before we head into our ratings, I wanted to share something with our listeners that I discovered this morning. Oh, okay. As I got on the train... And was going through my backpack. I couldn't find my headphones. And I thought, you idiot, Joey. You left your headphones at home. The decisions that you choose to make in your life. And I stopped right there and thought, oh, no. The voice in which I chastise myself for making a poor decision or making a mistake of some sort has switched from my father to Peter. It's, I kid you not, Pete, it is your voice, it is your turn of phrase, judging me and finding me wanting. <laughs> well, um, you're welcome. Uh, I'm sure I'm an improvement. It's an upgrade. <laughs> when you told me that earlier today, a part of me kind of felt bad, like, eh, you're kind of a jerk. And then I was like, no, no, I'm, kind of, I'm okay with this. I can, I can hang with that. Okay, science fiction. Yes, your science fiction rating. I gave this one a 10. Oh. Because of the star cluster, I just thought that was absolutely original. I've never heard of anything like it. If you guys know of other works of fiction where they've done something similar to that, I would love to you know have people send in stuff because I was fascinated by that idea. I sure. went to bed thinking about it and thinking of all the cool things yeah. that you could do as a writer with that. that that's awesome. That is way cool. Um you are right. It's it's pretty awesome. I gave it an eight. Knowing what you said, if I had originally given it a ten, I would have docked it down because of the idea that you came up with was wait, why don't you just put <laughs> bolt the raptors to the actual machines and I then see what boom, you're saying. Yeah. You got that figured out. Um but eight. Solid, solid science fiction. For TV, I only gave it a five. It, it's so much of the cat and and Starbuck back and forth, and I'm just sick of watching Starbuck be this broken thing. You know, you're right. I had originally given it a seven, um, but you know, I'm going to stay with a seven. I I think that there is still cat and Starbuck have gone at e- been at each other's throats the whole time. Maybe there's been a little bit of mutual respect as they've each seen the other do something pretty amazing as a pilot, but it's still um, everything else was really, really good. Um, the fact that the old man would come down and care for this person who risked everything, and as far as he knows, she really legitimately is this hero and comforts this one person on this massive ship, I, I think that's awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And we thank you for listening. Yeah, yeah. Whoa.